Welcome to Alliance Audio. I'm Charles Keaton, editor of Alliance, the magazine and website which specializes in global philanthropy. We have a simple mission, to give philanthropy the attention and scrutiny it deserves to help it do the most good. Today, we're exploring philanthropy's involvement with international development and the sustainable development goals. The SDGs, as they're known, are a set of 17 goals on health, education, hunger, poverty, and climate change, among a number of others, adopted by the United Nations to guide member states' global development policies. To the advocates, SDGs are a real improvement on the Millennium Development Goals, which they succeeded. And critically, they enable philanthropic foundations to have a seat at the table and give them new opportunities to get involved. Philanthropy-backed partnerships, such as the SDG Philanthropy Platform, and initiatives such as the OECD's Net Forward are driving forward philanthropy's engagement with the SDGs. Indeed, the OECD estimates that approximately $6.5 billion of philanthropy goes to the SDGs each year. But that's a fraction of overall philanthropic giving and the global aid budget. So should more be given to international development? And are the SDGs indeed the best framework for philanthropy? What about other approaches, such as giving directly to the world's poorest through cash transfers? So, to discuss the topic, I'm delighted to be joined by three guests with extensive experience in these areas. Joanna McRae, a former official at the United Kingdom's Department for International Development, and now Head of European Partnerships at GiveDirectly, who have pioneered cash transfers to the poor. I should also add that GiveDirectly and its co-founder, Michael Fay, are featured in our latest issue, so do check this out if you like what you hear today. And welcome, Joanna. Nice to be here. Thanks, Charles. I'm also joined by Dilhani Richie Sakara from Comet Relief, a major funder of international development causes that will be well known to many of our listeners. And hello, Dilhani. Hi there. And delighted, last but not least, to also be joined by Ben Morton Wright, founder and CEO of Global Philanthropic, a consultancy which advises foundations on their international development funding and works closely with Bond, an umbrella body for international development organisations. Hello, Ben. Hi there. Ben, if I could start with you. Um, can philanthropy be more involved in international development and what can be done to make sure there is sustained philanthropic involvement? Um, yes, it can and it should be and it has been. I think we've seen a really interesting decade where private individuals have started to set the agenda and global issues and Gates is no exception to that. And I think we are now into a phase where that uh, sort of benchmark's been followed. So for uh, particularly for ultra high net worths around the world, looking at international development, looking at some of the issues that are developed on these, on these 17 goals is something that they will look at and I think they will direct their philanthropic activity to try and achieve and alleviate some of the issues set up with those goals. And are you seeing working with your clients engagement with the SDGs as a framework to guide their global kind of development spending? Yeah, I mean it's early days really, isn't it? It's, it's a long haul we're into and the, the setting took uh, just last year. So certainly with the Millennium Development Goals, um, you know, we saw organisations like the UN Foundation use those and Ted Turner and his work many decades ago uh, to actually set their parameters of what they did and that was very highly effective in terms of the uh, outcomes that they were looking for and their giving. So I think, you know, certainly Millennium Development Goals proved that there was real value in setting objectives. And I think widening the objectives and being more detailed is a good thing, and I think it will help philanthropists. And Joanna, if I can turn to you, your impressions of philanthropy, you're new to the philanthropy field, but you're very much a veteran of the humanitarian development field. What's your impressions about philanthropy's engagement with international development? Yeah, thanks Charles. Well, I think there are two really big things that philanthropists can do and really complement um, the more formal government aid. I think the first is that philanthropists have got 
a voice really in public policy. Ben referred to the Gates Foundation, for example, that I think has been very active in defending aid budgets, but it's also been very active in promoting particular causes such as sexual and reproductive health. And I think philanthropists can do and say things that are sometimes quite difficult for governments to say and do. So, for example, when I look at Give Directly, I think we could not have got to where we are today without the kind of venture philanthropists that we see in places like Silicon Valley. So, Google and Good Ventures were incredibly important in that they could take risks in terms of the way they use funding that would be very tough for any government to do. So, I think there's that kind of public policy and innovation role for philanthropists. Also, they're adding to the size of the pot. So although the amounts are relatively small compared to the overall size of official aid, they're not insignificant sums. So there's real additionality there. And you work, Joanna, on the question of cash transfers, this relatively new innovation. Can you say a little bit more about cash transfers? And you mentioned that some funders, particularly in Silicon Valley, have got behind the idea, but there's still a relatively small amount of philanthropy. So what are your thoughts about the future in relation to cash transfers? So I think what's interesting about cash transfers is it provides a way of delivering aid very directly to poor people. And in some ways it seems quite counterintuitive that we should just give people money. But what's interesting is that there's a, a growing evidence base that just doing that, just giving people cash and letting them decide how to deliver on their development priorities is not only very effective, so we're seeing a, a, a lot of evidence around impact, but it's also a very efficient way of transferring aid. I think the other really interesting thing about just giving people cash is that it's a way also of empowering people. So it's them rather than aid agencies that are making decisions about what's important to them. So I think cash has got a real potential to transform the way we think about aid, to increase its effectiveness, to increase its efficiency, and also to really be changing the power relationships, I suppose, between philanthropists and, and, and users. Thank you. And Dilfani, um, SDGs and Comet Relief. Um, Comet Relief, a well-known international development funder, at least to UK listeners. Um, how does um, Comet Relief think about the SDGs? Well, I think we think about them a lot. So it's very much informed Comet Relief's current strategy. Uh, it provides a framework for the work that we do. But I would sort of say that we would see them more as a steer than a comprehensive framework or set of parameters for what we do. And so kind of building up on what Joanna was saying, we might also look for spaces where we can invest in a way that might give attention to issues that aren't currently on the agenda, whether that's ways of working in development, so new approaches like cash transfers, and we work with Give Directly as well, or whether it's particular issues that have been missed. So for example, Comic Relief has been a long-term investor in looking at mental health way, way before it was a popular subject, way before it was a feature of the SDGs or any other development frameworks. The same with slum dwellers, right? So we will really try to play, I suppose, a role that blends between the international frameworks that give us the guidance for what we do, but also trying to be responsive to what we learn from civil society, what we learn from citizens and communities about issues that really affect them. So how are Comet really bringing on cash transfers as part of its agenda? I and mean, to what extent has that emerged in the last year or so? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. It's something we're absolutely thinking about, but I think what we would say is we're not an expert on delivering cash transfers. There are great organisations that are emerging, like Give Directly, with expertise, and what we would rather do is invest in that ecosystem. And um, so where we can contribute um, and add value, um, we are, maybe Joanna can tell, say a little bit more about how we're supporting on um, the refugee work that you're looking at. 
we would try to do is look at where we can offer additionality and adopt early to a promising idea and I think that's what we're we're trying to do with these guys. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely the role that Kite Relief was able to play. So we had a, a kernel of an idea that we came to you with when it was quite young, and you provided us both the space to develop that idea and the early investment that then has allowed us to attract other supporting. And I think it's a great example of how private philanthropy organisation can help to drive innovation. And yet the SDGs and cash transfers don't always seem to be natural bedfellows. And Michael Fay's interview with me um, recently, he referred to them as a laundry list of largely reflective of the siloed nature of the sector as he described it. So I can see that's a good example of an NGO working with one another. But do you see cash transfers as disruptive to the kind of current understanding of the way that international development philanthropy can work? Yes, I think it is. I think it's disruptive in a number of different ways. I think it's disruptive in a way about how we think about philanthropy. So I think sometimes we think that to do good in the world, it's really important that we don't just give people this idea of kind of not just giving people a a handout, but kind of enabling them to climb up the ladder. And we kind of think that we have to have a lot of people to mediate uh, doing good and to help tell poor people you know, how to make their lives better. And I think part of what cash does is really transform that relationship between the philanthropist and the end user. And it's around changing that power dynamic and putting the end user in charge of their own aid and, 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 their, own, and their own charitable action, in fact. I think the other thing is that it has quite big implications in terms of the charitable ecosystem, because actually it's a very simple way of doing good. And you don't actually need quite so many institutions doing so much. And so I think what we're beginning to see, certainly in the humanitarian sector, is a real streamlining of the overall architecture. And if that goes to its logical conclusion, I think you would see a smaller number of charities and their turnover will probably decrease over time. Ben, if I can just put that to you, you're working with philanthropists, working with wealthy individuals or, or their foundations that want to do good in the world and involved in global development. Do you see them or do they come to you asking for advice about how to deploy their capital and would something like cash transfers be on the agenda or would they say, well, we want to be involved in the SDGs or particular SDG? What kind of conversations have you been having? Yeah, I mean, they, the SDGs are, are very helpful because they give a, a yardstick if you're into international development, you're into, into changing the world through your own philanthropy in a mega scale and through very large gifts, they're, they're, they're very helpful. I think the cash transfer, clearly it works, clearly it, it's a great initiative. And I think in a way it's also inevitable. I mean, technology, if you look most of our big and wonderful charities around the world, they're kind of post-war, most of them are, are UN related and they've been doing things in a certain way for a long time and reality is the world is just changing so quickly around us that you know there are new channels there are new ways of dealing with emergencies there's new ways of dealing with philanthropy and actual fact that hasn't manifested itself quite yet fully i don't think so all that's yet to happen yet people's world in terms of social media and just how they live and the next generations and millennials they're all coming through they live in a very different world so i think there's going to be you know huge adjustments around how we look at transferring money from private individuals through to needy individuals.
issues. And I think, you know, in a way, what we've seen, I think, is just the early stages. I think there's a lot more change that happen. And to what extent do you think those international development charities that may be on the receiving end of significant funding from the philanthropists you work for and foundation work for, to what extent are they ready for this adjustment, which will have implications for their size, scale, operations? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very interesting question, and, and it's hard because it's so fast-moving as well. So I think as far as the, the philanthropist is concerned, what they're looking for is leverage, they're looking for impact, they're looking for efficiency rather in terms of they look at a lot of their giving in terms of a business matrix in many ways and get a lot of pleasure at it and they should do. So the other part of this is that there's a huge amount yet to happen. There's a massive transfer of wealth that's yet to happen. The giving that we see at the moment, you know, generally around 1% of GDP, it wouldn't be that difficult to get it up to US standards at 2% if you unlocked this transfer of wealth and that's a UK stat but generally in Europe it's around one percent you know to double giving actually if you unlock this transfer private foundation through yeah. planned giving through structured uh, philanthropic work you could through that actually get significant impact in the actual total amount of money going into the charitable sector let alone what could be done for development. Well, one thing I think probably all of us around the table would have as a wish would be to see more funding going to international development. And we were talking before we came on air about the different areas that donors might give to. So given that these changes might be underway, how can the increases in philanthropy be generated for international development? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think one way in is by reassuring people that their money will be used well. And I think one of the things that that holds people back from a lot of international giving is, is a, a degree of scepticism about whether or not it's doing good. So I think one of the things we need to do is to get out there and be really clear that this kind of giving can make a really transformative effect on, on the lives of poor people. And I think the other thing is crowding in the, the younger generation, then refer to millennials who I think actually are very driven by a social purpose a lot of the time. And it's how can we find innovative ways of engaging them and making them feel that they're part of delivering on, on a vision of, of where there's, there's no poverty left in the world. But coming back to your, your first comment, isn't there a paradox that actually cash transfers seem to have a very strong evidence base in terms of their effectiveness, but actually there might be a perception that giving cash is somehow could be wasteful or will be putting money in the hands of people that won't use it well. So is it necessarily obvious or logical that actually money will flow to the most effective charities? And how do you deal with that, that dilemma? So I think part of the way that we deal with it is by really being on the front foot in terms of engaging with the public around the evidence, around the stories. And I think it behoves everybody uh, within the sector more broadly to be thinking, to be trying to engage their supporters and encouraging them to think, is there evidence around what we're doing? And can we be transparent around costs? And I think if we do that across the sector and that becomes a discipline in all of our giving, big and small, that will start to change the culture. And that would then mean that when people do look at the evidence, when they do look at the cost, they will see that interventions like cash do offer very good value for money. They are giving a high level of effect. So I think there's a kind of big piece in here around educating donors, big and small. Well, and coming to that, Dilhani, um, Comet Relief obviously engages with donors and the, mm. the wider public, uh, large amounts of individual giving, but much of the way you raise funds isn't necessarily exactly educational in that, from what I can tell. It's, you know, the, there's the comic side of the Comet Relief, you're using comedy and celebrity to drive funding, even if at the same time you want to make sure you have impactful programs. So how, does, how do you deal with that, that dilemma? 
about tension? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I mean, I, and I think it's a, a real tension for the organisation. It's something that we talk about a lot. Um, and you know, uh, we've got a new CEO now, and we're going through the process of thinking about what does Comet really want to be, what do we stand for over the next five to ten years. And one of the things that we we really care about and see, you know, there's sort of I would say there's about 97% awareness of um, comic relief in the UK, which is huge. Um, we are a household brand and we absolutely see it as our responsibility to not only raise funds in order to get investment to, to people living in poverty, but also to support that narrative to move forward. And so we're very much thinking about how do we engage um, the public in, in understanding the issues in a, in a very human and simple way. And sometimes that's been, uh, you know, that's going to think about how we use comedy and fun to make it simple and engaging but also particularly with you know we're thinking very much about the next generation thinking about young people who are really passionate about justice issues and um, want to maybe want to engage in a different way aren't ready yet to to be fundraisers but are, are ready to kind of be mobilizers be talkers be advocates for change so I think it's a sort of live discussion um, for us within the organisation and I think you might even see in next year's sport release some slightly different ways of how we tell the story and how we engage people with the story of, um, and the work that we do. Well, something we'll certainly at Alliance be uh, looking out for, for for next year. And Ben, if I can turn to you, that question of a increased engagement with impact among yeah. some of the donors that you work with. At the same time, donors can be motivated by recognition, naming of the certain grants they make. How much do you see a mixture of motivations informing giving and how much do you, do you see a genuine commitment to impact amongst the people you're working with? Well, I mean, giving is, is is all about not getting anything back in return fundamentally. Philanthropy is all about giving, you know, love of humankind and supporting initiatives or people, individuals or countries or programs, whatever it might be. So impact is, is secondary, but the point is that I think for philanthropists, they do obviously want to see high impact programs, they want to see people monitor it, they want to see people evaluating that and it's very important that that's built in to their work and it's very important that they feel that their their hard earned cash in a way is what is well used. So impact shouldn't be the, the tail that wags the dog, fundamentally we're talking about philanthropy but on the other hand now I think we've got a sophisticated emergence of a very sophisticated philanthropic, certainly the top level of the community. They do want to look at impact, and they do want to see that the, 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 you know, the money they've spent and given is actually well spent and it, and it has the right impact. I do think on the final point, I mean, you can spend as much money on measuring the impact as, as, as giving the gift, so you've got to be a bit careful on this. It should all be relative to, to you know, for, for purpose. So I think we can, we can get a little bit too carried away with just constantly looking at impact. I think fundamentally, big gifts are, are, should be pleasurable experiences. It's, it's, it's a transaction that in theory and not getting anything back, but it's just a form of measurement. Well, Joanna, does that reassure you that potentially more donors will, will shift to cash based on the evidence base that you've been able to develop? Yeah, and I think it's this combination, isn't it, of, of head and heart that drives philanthropy. And I think what we'd like to see is maybe a little bit more head in some of uh, in some philanthropic decisions. And I think we're quite encouraged that there is a generation of philanthropists, some of whom haven't given before. So, for example, we're, we work very closely with Founders Pledge and we're seeing, I think, that type of organisation bringing in a new generation of people who haven't necessarily got a long history and who are being driven quite hard, I think, by concerns around impact as well as feel-good factors. So I think we, we feel that there is a generation of, of donors that's emerging that's got impact very much in the heart of their decision-making. Yeah, and I was just going to add to that, I suppose one of the things that I'm really interested to see 
emerge within this space, and I suppose it sits more on the impact side than the threat philanthropy side, is how do you know models like cash begin to kind of integrate with system approaches that are seeking different kinds of social change, which might not be about poverty, but might be more about justice issues. And so, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about on the way here is a platform like Give Directly, which has the technology behind it to actually talk to and voice issues from huge numbers of people. How could that also be a way to support people to advocate, to talk about their rights, to talk about issues within their community that might not be about the cash itself? So, for example, one of the organisations we work with does a lot of work around using CitySpec, which is a mobile app to allow um, communities and citizens to talk directly to local authorities. And you know, reaches around 25,000 residents just through a single text message that says, are the water taps in your community working? And it kind of turns out 40% of them aren't. And so there's a whole piece around voice and accountability that technology offers that these sort of roots are starting to build that speak to sort of broader social change, human rights issues that I think many philanthropists, many organisations like Comic Relief think about. I think one of the things I wouldn't want us to sort of throw out of the basket is this idea that there are many different routes to change and and there are ways in which these new approaches both disrupt but can also complement um, longer term change within this framework of development. In which case there seems to be that lots of change not just for international development but also for philanthropy partly driven by technology and I think on that note that's all we're going to have time for on this particular topic at this moment but we will be returning to these issues in Alliance. So I'd like to thank our guest today on Alliance Audio, Ben Walter Wright thank of you. Global Philanthropic, Joanna McRae Give Directly and Dilhani Wichisakera of Comic Relief. Thank you to you all and to our listeners. To read the latest on philanthropy where you are, go to alliancemagazine.org and subscribe. Your subscription enables Alliance to hold up a mirror to philanthropy and we hope you enjoy the view. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.